Hey folks, today's podcast is brought to you by the National Association for the Development of Coalitions that are going to determine once and for all what the hell is wrong with Bree Hillen. Scientists have been trying to figure this out for years. Now we have an organization devoted just to this. For events coming up, we do have some spots left for the April 1st through the 3rd seminar, but only a few, so don't delay if you're considering that. After that will be June 3rd through the 5th, and then August 12th through the 14th. For events held in Starting Strength Gyms, we do have a squat and deadlift camp on May 21st in Starting Strength Boston, so check that out. And then finally, our first ever lift shoot fight camp, April 30th to May 1st. That is being held in Wichita Falls. That's going to cover, obviously, lifting, shooting, and fighting, and hosted by none other than Nick Dolce de Leche. Speaking of Starting Strength Gyms, we are continuing to add spots to the map, but we do need talent to fill those spots. So if you're interested in becoming a coach, make certain that you head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, check out the coaching tab, fill out the form, get your name on the list with Anna Capel so that you can be best good friends with her. Just talk about pizza and beer and dogs and you'll be fine. Uh, And she'll give you the rundown on what it takes to become a coach. We are still continuing to look for talent. Also, if you are interested in just finding out what's going on with Starting Strength Gyms, Head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. You can see what we have on the list. Or if you're interested in maybe potentially opening a gym, you can fill out that form and talk to my good frenemy, Luke. I can't pronounce his last name. And now without further ado, hold your nose and pretend that you like listening to Ray Gillenwater on the Starting Strength Gyms podcast. All right. We're here today with Andrew Lewis, starting strength coach and the owner of Starting Strength Indianapolis. Andrew is an engineer. He's an SSE. Uh, he left his job as an engineer to do coaching full-time. Um, he then became an SSC after trying four times, and there's a video of that on our YouTube channel if you want to check that out. He is uh, world-renowned for his use of suspenders and the way he wears his belt, um, and he's here today to talk to us about his journey as a starting strength coach. And uh, firstly, though, we'll start with something useful for those of you that are only interested in this channel for the training content. So. Since Andrew is a starting strength coach with a bunch of experience, we're going to talk about the concept of coming back from a layoff, how to approach that, the do's and don'ts, and then uh, if you want to stick around afterward, we will talk to Andrew about um, his story up until now. So Andrew, let's get right into it, man. Um, Give me your thoughts on how trainees should be thinking about coming back from a layoff. So the first thing you need to think about is uh, how far, how long were you gone? So I think we think of layoffs as like people be, as like being off of training for three, four, five, six months, five years, you know, really, really long, but really any amount of missed training time is going to constitute a little bit of detraining. And that's going to be proportional to how, how long that you've been not training. So, um, you know, you might, you might go away for Christmas and, you haven't trained in a week. And up until that point, you were training three days a week, uh, making progress either as an intermediate or as a, as a novice. And, you know, you don't really think of that as like a layoff, but, but it kind of is, you know, it it requires modification to, to what's going on. And so, um, I think we should start kind of with the basics of course, and then we'll branch into the more, more specific scenarios. So of course, all this comes back to the stress recovery adaptation cycle. And so, you are, let's say you're working through the novice progression and you're getting stronger, you're adding five pounds to uh, 
bar every time you're able to stress your body with the workout recover and then adapt and get stronger within that 48 to 72 hour period and you come up on a time where you have to take time off and as a result because there's no stress that is keeping that adaptation um, at what has now become baseline you're going to start detraining and that's and that's kind of the basis for which we're going to see this uh, proportional amount of detraining to the amount of time that you're gone and that, that sort of seems like a trivial observation but i think that a lot of people especially if they've been off for like three weeks or a month or two months or three months think that they can just jump right back in and that's going to create some problems and we'll we'll go through some of those examples later so kind of the the base level recommendation i have is for um, the amount of time that you've taken off, the amount of sessions or cycles that you've missed, you're going to go back that amount. So assuming, assuming nothing kind of weird has happened, um, you didn't get sick, you didn't break your leg, you didn't uh, have a, a horribly traumatic experience within that one week layoff, then you're probably just going to repeat the last workout you did, especially if you're a novice. Um, now Regardless the of, of the length of layoff? I'm sorry. Regardless of the length of the layoff. No, no. So if it's if it's like if it's like two or three if it's like two or three days or a week, mm -hmm. then you're going to to just go back to the other work to the most recent workout. So, um, I guess the first part the first part of that is if you let's say you miss one workout, for the most part you can probably just keep making advancements. If you miss two workouts or three workouts, you're going to want to repeat the last one that you did. Now, when you go further and further along, so let's say you've missed two weeks of workouts, then you're going to want to actually regress back to a, a previous a previous amount. So let's say that up until, we'll say the first, you were squatting 285 and then 290 and then 295 at different workouts. Mm -hmm. You take two weeks off, maybe you'll go back to 295 or 290. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're probably not going to just be able to pick up you know, right where you lift off, left off uh, two weeks later, but one week later, you might be able to. Got it. Does this change depending on the age of the trainee? Yes, I would say so. So, uh, older trainees are going to detrain faster and you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to regress even more, uh, than you would with, for, for example, a 20 year old, a 20 year old male specifically. Um, you're not going to have to take quite so much time off if you're if you're a little younger. And, and, and to be clear, younger might mean like 20 to 40, right? Not necessarily just 20. Right. And does this change uh, based on the level of training advancement? So for a novice versus an intermediate? Yes. So if you are a novice, you are going to have to. You're probably going to have to regress more than if you are an advanced trainee, and. The, the kind of math behind that, if you think about it, so let's say that you have, um, let's say that you are, are an advanced trainee, you have a long stress recovery adaptation cycle that we'll, we'll just say for, for easy math, let's say it takes, it's 20 workouts long and you miss one workout, that represents 5% of that entire stress recovery adaptation cycle. But if you are a novice and you miss one workout, that represents 100% of the stress recovery adaptation cycle. And so the further along you are as an advanced trainee, 
uh, the more you can kind of just jump back into it without without a ton of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the place where that starts to become a really big problem is when you get these long layoffs because people have people have memories and they remember being excited about squatting a really heavy weight. And it's really unpalatable to walk into the gym after three months and squat like 185 when you know you can squat 405 for five. Uh, so there, there does have to be a logical kind of tempering of expectations in order to not make yourself obscenely sore and, and just ruin the experience coming back and just set yourself up on a, on a, a bad course to, to get back into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, at what point, how do you calculate the math on um, a layoff that's longer than, you know, a week or two? So I would say anything over than, and, and this is all like really hand wavy stuff. It's not like there's not hard calculations that I've, that I've put into this. Um, but I would say anyone who's, who's longer than uh, two weeks, again, it's going to depend on the training level. It's going to depend on the age Then I'm probably going to run them through another LP. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as it's getting toward that, that month or two, um, anything beyond a month, I would definitely say you're going to want to come back a lot lighter than what you want. Um, and this assumes that you're, you're full stop. You're not lifting at all during that time. Um, you can do a lot. If you're able to lift even a little bit in that period that that's technically the layoff, you can prevent a lot of detraining in that process, even if it's something as simple as um, one lift a session for three sessions or four sessions a week. Even if you have a, a three month layoff, you can prevent quite a bit of detraining by just getting in that that little bit of stress um, in that time. So your so advice is if you've put in all this hard work to get stronger, instead of getting off the wagon and then, uh, you know, getting demoralized and thinking about all the gains you've lost. Um, just try to get something in. Train once a week. Yes. Um, hit all the well, major lifts. My very first piece of advice is: do not take a layoff <laughs> at all. Especially if you're a novice. If you're taking a, if you're taking a layoff as a novice, you really are robbing yourself because you only get to be a novice once. And uh, those those easy gains, if you just follow the program, are extremely rewarding. And so it's best if you can orient your life around training three days a week for several months at a time. You'll be you'll be happy that you did. And um, if you keep taking layoffs, regressing, and then trying to, to ramp back up, you'll find that you're you'll be running in place. So so get through the point of diminishing returns, get through the novice phase, and uh, you know you may want to maintain strength at that point, which you'll find is not really um, a real concept. But uh, but yeah, definitely don't don't miss training sessions as a novice. And then, if you want to become a Chase Lindley or a Jim Clare, the guy that just deadlifted six hundred at Starting Strength Denver, they are who they are because they don't miss training sessions. They make it a priority in their lives. And even if you know, even if you don't want to deadlift five six hundred pounds, even if you don't want to deadlift four hundred pounds, which which you should, but even everyone if you should don't deadlift want... at least four hundred five. If we have Rip were here, he'd say five hundred. But let's just say at least four hundred five. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's say you don't want to deadlift 600. Let's say that, that right now where you're sitting, you're, uh, you know, you got your 225 deadlift and, uh, and, and you're, you're working on that and you got, um, you know, a potential, a potential thing that, that you're going to, you're considering taking a layoff for, 
Um, you know, I, I have never, I've never had a time where I've had to do a layoff and I am glad that I did it. Mm -hmm. I've never come back from a layoff and been glad that I wasn't at least doing something in that process in that time. Yep. And what are your PRs just, uh, just so you can, um, you reinforce the point of, of, of what, of what actually happens when you don't take layoffs. Yeah. So I've been training pretty consistently for, I don't think, I think I missed, I missed, uh, one workout, two workouts in the past three years. And, um, one of them, uh, one of them was because I got hurt doing something. And the other one was because I got shingles and, um, I'm deadlifting uh, the last deadlift heavy deadlift I did was 600, um, squatting 505 for singles. Um, I just PR my press at 270 and, um, the highest I ever benched was two, it was uh, 360 but I'm, I'm working back up from, uh, from something from a while ago. Nice. And all the while I'm, I'm doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. So it can be done. It can, it can, it, it, it can be very carefully done. <laughs> Let, let's, definitely. let's get into the specifics. So let's talk about our target demographic. Um, middle-aged man, uh, he's a novice. He has to take a, a layoff and it's less than a week. So let's say on his on his last workout, he did uh, squat, bench, and chins, and then five six days later he can come train again. Um, do you want this guy doing squat, bench, and chins, or since he hasn't pressed in a longer amount of time than he's benched, and the same applies to the deadlift, do you want him to switch to his other workout and do squat? press and deadlift whichever exercise was further away at the time of the workout so the second version of what you just said got it so it's not necessarily repeat the last workout if you're less than a week into your layoff it's uh it's do the workout that's furthest away from where you are right now the yeah. exercises the exercises that you've that you've missed that are furthest away from where you are right now correct so you'll you'll squat you'll squat the same amount that you did at that most recent workout mm -hmm. press from the workout prior and then uh, do deadlifts. But I would also say if it can be done, uh, you know, if you know that you're coming up to uh, a layoff or even just, just a vacation, just a six day, you know, a six day layoff, um, I would definitely organize that last workout to better prevent uh, detraining in that process. So I would try to end that workout with deadlifts if it could be done now if it's um if, if it can't be done it can't be done like if you can't really organize it in an intelligent way that's going to finish with all of your your stressful work on that time then then you just do exactly what we just said yep. but i would definitely prefer that on that last day instead of doing chins they would be doing some type of pull some Got type it. of heavy so what you're saying is if you have the luxury of planning your layoff, like if you're going to travel for the holidays and you can't get access to a gym, um, you should structure your last workout so that the most important lifts are prioritized uh, to prevent detraining as much as possible. Yes, because you're, you're still in that stress recovery adaptation cycle when you start your layoff. Yep. So into, the, into those two or three days of your vacation, let's say, you're still, you're still training, you're still in that stress recovery adaptation cycle. And, um, so you know, that, even like that same middle-aged guy, if he takes two weeks off, 
how would you then structure his uh, his comeback? So in that exact same scenario, mm -hmm. he's on the bench chin. He's going to come back and he's going to squat and press and deadlift. And if it's two weeks off, assuming that he's a three-day-a-week trainee, which if you're describing middle age, it's going to be, mm -hmm. then he's going to regress uh, probably two or three workouts. Got it. Okay. Now, some people, you, you have to also consider kind of the, the, um, the psychology behind this as well, because you, you're, you're really walking on, on the knife's edge there, if, which, which you need to be doing if you're trying to maximize your, your progress in this, um, in this training system. Mm -hmm. But especially if you have someone coming back from a particularly stressful event, um, which vacation, you know, vacation is great. It is still stressful getting on an airplane, being in an environment that you're not used to doing stuff. You're not used to, maybe they, maybe they drank a lot. Maybe they didn't exercise at all. Seeing a family that, getting sunburned. That's still kind of, oh, sunburn, especially. Yeah. I mean, it, that sounds so silly, but, um, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, maybe I just have bias to that because I'm so like obscenely white. <laughs> But like when I get, when I get, if I get sunburned or even a little bit of tan, I'm, I'm exhausted on my next training day. Yep. And we'll, we'll see the comments on that one, but, uh, um, you're not as white as Chase. So you'll be fine. Um, any, well, let, any, let's, let's keep going through this, uh, this, um, deduction. I want to kind of map out the different scenarios for people. So we talked about the middle-aged novice, uh, less than a week, two weeks. Okay. Middle-aged novice male. He's, uh, he hasn't trained for a month. What would you then do? Uh, a middle-aged novice male, I'm probably going to bring him back in, have him start, have him start relatively light mm -hmm. and probably do LP, a very short LP coming back. And would you have him do three sets of five on the squad on his first day back? No, the first day back, I'd probably have him do one set, maybe two. Mm -hmm. I might have him do ascending sets depending on what it looks like. Right. Um, I've done that with people before. Um, but you're trying to, you're trying to reestablish a baseline that one is going to give you a foundation to continue and two, not kill him the next, you know, during that next day. You want him to um, be able to train two days later. Yes. And, exactly. uh, and if the guy is at the end of his novice phase, let's see, he's, he was squatting three sets of five for 300 before he left, he comes back a month later. Um, you don't want to ramp him up to three sets of five at 275, even if he can do it. Right. Yeah, but he, he probably can do it. Right. He almost, he almost certainly can do it, but it, it would be to his detriment because he will not be able to come in two days later and get that, that next uh, bout of stress that he needs. And he will not be happy with you because he'll have trouble sitting on the toilet. Yeah. He, yes, he'll not be happy. So let's talk about this same trainee that's an intermediate for the same three scenarios. One week, two weeks, one month. Let's say so one month one or more. Yeah, one yeah, one month or more is, is going to be back to LP. Uh, so, for one week, um, probably probably going to have him repeat the last cycle because at this point, um, he's missed a single cycle mm -hmm. because it's a week long. Um, yeah, for for early intermediate. Uh, so just to clarify, if on a Monday, the guy did uh, intensity day on squat, volume day on press and chins missed a week you would then have him repeat that same workout or would you have him flip-flop as far as uh doing intensity and volume on, on the particular lifts can you, can you say that one more time so you said, uh, so monday 
the the last day of training before the layoff, he does intensity on squats, volume on bench, and chins. Comes back a week so, later. Do you have him do that exact same workout, or do you have him do the one that he's furthest away from, just like a novice, kind of flip flopping intensity and volume days? That scenario, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably, I would probably have him do the intensity squat again. Mm-hmm. I don't have a big problem with that. I think that would be fine. But I think with bench and the chins, we're gonna again want to switch. So we'll do press, um, probably volume press, almost certainly not for five sets of five. Um, even though presses are the, the kind of the least stressful of the lifts of the four um, slow lifts, I'm probably going to knock that down to four sets mm-hmm. just to reduce the stress a little bit as he's coming back. Got it. Um, same scenario, two weeks. Two weeks, same idea, lighter weight. Yep. And again, maybe de- depending on depending on the person in question, maybe instead of... Um, so, so again, for presses, because the the, the stress is relatively low, um, probably still four sets of that. For squats, if I were going to get him back to a volume day, if he is running like five by five volume day, I'd probably have him do four or even three sets of that as he's coming back. Got it. So, um, and then uh, you, so you you have him. So let's say it's it's two weeks. You would have him go back, um, and in two week time, it's only a five pound jump. Uh, let's let's say five to ten pounds, depending on on when when the layoff happens. You'd have him go down five to ten pounds on the lifts, and then maybe drop a set if you're on a volume day or a set or two on on volume. Yep, got it. And then just work back up, add the volume back in, add the weight back in. Yep. And then if he's gone for um, a month or more, just a reset back on linear progression. So actually, I um. There's kind of two, I think there's two ways to do this. I think, I think the most efficient way is to, is to go back to linear progression is mm-hmm. to reset to linear progression. Um, the, the same way I described earlier. Now, I think that there's definitely a, there are definitely situations where I've had people, for example, on a four day split and I've run them on a four day split linear progression, um, in lieu of putting them back on three days a week. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that's a scheduling thing. And part of that is um, that they've, in a sense, become accustomed to this kind of setup where they're, they, they do their two lifts, they do their two lifts, they get a day off, and then they do two, two workouts with two lifts each. And so mathematically, it's, it's slightly less efficient. Um, but you have to consider, it's important to know what is the most optimal. And then in the bounds of who you're working with. And if, and if you're your, obviously if you're your own programmer, you need to consider, you have to know yourself and know realistically, what are you going to do? And if you set yourself up with a situation that you just know, you're not going to do it, then there's no point in setting up that kind of situation. The other point is still- um, psychology is super important, right? So if you, and, and part of psychology is habit formation. So if you have a trainee who you've been able to get on a four day split, Uh, on a consistent basis and that's now a habit it's been part of the schedule that habit's been interrupted based on the layoff but um and you know you're going to have them back on a four-day split soon you need to think about what is your highest chance of success with this trainee and that should probably be a conversation for some people that aren't busy going back to three-day nlp for a couple of weeks might be fine 
Um, but for others, you know, trying to, to switch their schedule around to three days a week and then four days a week would be too disruptive. Well, and you also, have, I mean, alongside the, I guess this kind of goes along with psychology, but you're also going to find that um, the situations of the clients are, are all a little bit different. So there are some people for whom you have to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. You have no other choice. I mean, if, if you got a, um, and, and I don't work with any, I want to be clear, I don't work with this demographic. But just for example, if you had a 17-year-old who is depending on a, a football scholarship in the summer or, uh, you know, for, for college, then you, you don't have the option to be inefficient. It just has to be brutally optimal hmm. um, in order for them to, to have that correct. Um, same thing with, with older people whose uh, quality of life depends on you being precisely correct. Um, now... You know, with some people who are a little more casual, who you who you want to keep uh, that, that habit, keep them training, you might you might decide along with them that you want to take that less aggressive approach. Yep. Let's. Um, I want to hammer the point about making sure the first workout back is not a crippling event. So let's talk about the uh, middle-aged man who's taken a month plus off. Uh, his last workout as an intermediate on the squat, for example, is four sets of five at. 335 let's say um what what would you work this guy up to uh roughly weight wise how many sets and reps on his first day back in the new nlp so if he's doing four sets of five at 335 before he left um he's he's gotten a good amount of strength and he's he's presumably doing that as his sort of volume day Mm -hmm. uh alongside whatever whatever his intensity day would be for the, the four by five uh, Texas method. So um, almost certainly I'm going to have him squat somewhere. If it's if it's between a month and two, maybe 185, maybe ascending on that. If it's any longer than that, I'm definitely going to bring him down to like 135. And it's going to be really unsatisfying and it's going to be a really short workout. And uh, I have to explain that that this is what it, you know it's going to be unsatisfying and it's what has to happen in order for you not to be uh, cripplingly sore tomorrow. So you know for a guy like that, yeah, I, I might bring him down all the way to 135. Yep. And the way you manage the psychology there is saying exactly what you said and also reinforcing the point that your movement patterns need reinforcing. It's been a while. So let's just think of this as technique day. We don't need to worry about putting up. Uh, impressive weights because that's not going to be conducive to a uh, uh, productive training cycle. And that reframing is a, is a really good idea, not just in this context, um, but, but reframing something that is unsatisfying because it's lighter as a technique day is, is a great way to um, kind of make those lighter days more palatable um, alongside this idea. So we won't go through every type of trainee, but let's talk about either end of the spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have a young male, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have an older female. So let's talk about a 70-year-old woman who uh, is going through her novice linear progression, and she misses two workouts. What's the So, so let's say she squatted... Um, two workouts? Yeah, she, she squatted 110... Um, pressed 45 and deadlifted um 160 let's say 
So for this demographic specifically, I really like using ascending sets to really dial in um, where they're going to finish on that first day. Now you can't you can't do that for deadlifts, obviously, um, unless you're going to have them do sets across, which is not, um, not always desirable. But uh, for for two days, for having been gone for two days, um, I'm probably going to have them just repeat the workout prior to the most recent one, again with the, the furthest away exercise. So they're going to uh, squat, they're going to bench, and they're going to deadlift. Yep. And I just want to reinforce the point that with this demographic, the most important thing is not to hurt them. Do not hurt yep. these people. They, they, uh, you're making them less fragile, but they're fragile. Um, it's probably our favorite demographic. It makes up a decent chunk of our trainees, um, not as many as the target demo, like I mentioned, but this is an important demographic. And they're in the gym for different reasons than the than the 35 year old accountant, right? Um, this is about quality of life. And so being conservative, if you if you're not sure which direction to go, um, going the more conservative route is probably the right answer. What about two Absolutely. weeks? Same same question. Two weeks off. For for someone in that demographic at those numbers, uh, again, ascending sets much lighter. So I'm going to have them bench. Let, let's say that their prior bench was uh, like 75. I might have them, I might have them bench just 45 and see what a set of three looks like at 45 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it looks real smooth and, and controlled, and that, that's kind of another component with this demographic is practice. Because mm. some people you have who they can come back after a little bit of time off and still have that practice while others might have balance issues, might have control issues, and especially in the squat, that's, that's a potentially a problem. So um, definitely lower on the bench and then do some ascending, ascending work to really dial in where, where they can go to. Um, squat, lighter, if they're at 110 prior, I'd say probably 90, or I'm sorry, for, for two weeks off, geez, probably even lower than that, probably uh, 80, 85 with some ascending sets. And then deadlifts, probably, probably 135 for a triple. And then uh, <clears throat> same situation, one month off, one month plus. Uh, LP, for sure. How many sets and reps? Potentially ascending sets, just start real light, don't hurt them, uh, make sure that they're moving well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so they, they know the movement patterns now, this isn't first day in the gym, the goal is perfect technique, lightweight and uh we want you back in the gym we don't want you super sore and this would be a good time to reinforce the value of sleep and and protein for this trainee as well this idea that you've been you've been talking about where we uh or you've been kind of probing with uh like flipping the the bench in the press or the squat or the deadlift in the chins mm -hmm. after after a month it doesn't matter right Not, so that that's a that's a great thing to bring up excuse me that's a great thing to bring up for you know a week, two weeks, even three weeks, maybe. But after that, it's just like it, it doesn't matter. Right. For yep. flipping. Yep. Um, what does matter is you do the most important lifts. So uh, I tend to prioritize the press over the bench for my trainees, and um, obviously the deadlift is is the most important um, pulling exercise. So Andrew, we uh, we covered the stuff I wanted to cover. What else did you want to mention on programming, or should we move into your background. I want to go over some stuff. Um, yeah. 
one of the things that, because we've talked about a lot of a lot of kind of theory and some examples, and I promise you there is someone probably in their 20s, maybe in their 30s, who is listening to this, who listened to the portion where I recommended that you go from a, a 335 squat down to 135. And that is, I, I understand it breaks your heart. You don't want to do it. You want to get back in there. And I've been there. And I've also made the mistakes. So you don't want to do that. And the way that I have found that is kind of the best way to argue, not argue this, but rhetorically approach this, and for especially the analytical people who are very upset at the idea that they're gonna to have to go down to 135. Right now, I'm telling you, if you look at the math, it's not that big of a deal. Yep. It's really not. If you are, if you are um, an intermediate trainee, you're adding five pounds a week to your squat. If you're a, a later intermediate trainee, you're adding five pounds every two weeks, you're adding five pounds every three weeks. Um, you come back and, and I ran three different kind of approaches for this, a, a, a really aggressive one that people are probably going to do anyway, even though we, we talked about this, uh, a more conservative one I would recommend. And then a really conservative one uh, that is just, uh, just very slow to add weight. And if you come in, if you come back in that first day and you squat 225 and then you add 50 pounds, the next workout, and then 30 pounds, the next workout, and then five and five, um, you're back up to a 315 squat. Yep. Okay. And that takes two, two weeks and, and two sessions. Okay. So five total sessions. I would not recommend doing that. That's going to make you really sore. Um, and especially if you go up to 275 to, to save one workout, you've only, you've only saved yourself a, a third of a week, essentially. If you come back in, you do 135 for a single set of five. Come into your next session, 185 for two sets of five. Next session, 225 for three sets of five. And then just keep doing three sets of five from there on out. You add 20 pounds uh, three times, and then you start adding 10 pounds and then five pounds. You're back up to a 315 squat in 10 sessions. Yep. So it's a five session difference. And a five session difference for a late intermediate is nothing. Yep. It's absolutely nothing. So, I implore you that if you are, if you're listening to this and you're, you're going to come back from layoff and you're thinking, you know what, no, screw that. I'm just going to, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, and I'm going to do, I'll, I'll, you know, 295. I can do 295 for three sets of five. Please don't do it because <laughs> mathematically, it's just not that big. Of a deal. And if you're even more conservative, you start at 135 and add 20 pounds for two weeks, then you add 10 pounds for a week and then you add five pounds for a couple of weeks. You're only down maybe eight to ten workouts. Yep. And again, for late intermediate, that's one cycle. That's five pounds of progress. This problem only happens with men, by the way. Women aren't this uh, pig-headed. You know, yeah. men men always want to uh, uh, set new PRs their first day back, much to their detriment. <laughs> so so um, avoid the temptation, and sometimes slow is fast. If you try to go back too quickly and it interferes with your next training session, well, you've just regressed and it's, it's a pretty frustrating process. And, and everything I just said assumes that it goes flawlessly. flawlessly. You know, maybe, maybe you can endure the soreness and, and tolerate it, get good sleep and all that and, that, and that's fine. But probably what's gonna happen if you do that really aggressive approach is you're gonna get stuck. Mm -hmm. 
And you're going to be even more angry because now instead of taking the extra time, instead of taking the extra five sessions, now you are going back and trying to fix things, dug yourself into a hole that you have to get yourself out of. And it's going to take you even longer to get back to that real 315 yep. or 335. Yep. What else? And that, that's not going to happen with the aggressive approach. Yep. Um, one thing I definitely wanted to mention uh, is that, which I sort of alluded to this, but a layoff where uh, you're on vacation and just hanging out and not really doing much, that's not the same thing as if you take a week off because you got pneumonia mm-hmm. or you got shingles or whatever, you know, something bad happened. You know, if, if you have that high stress, that hormonal response, uh, sickness in general is extremely stressful on the body. And so one week when you are sick is not the same as one week when you're just, just chilling. Mm-hmm. So you need to take that into account. And, and again, there's no, like the math on all this stuff is really, um, really, really kind of, hard. it depends, but, but this idea, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you listen to this whole thing and you've gotten some ideas on what you're going to do when you come back after being off for a week for being sick, take, take it a little further because it, it's more stressful than, than actually coming back and you're going to be, you're going to be diminished. Yep. Yep. Any other points we missed? Please start light. <laughs> please. <laughs> to the men out there, please start light. <laughs> you'll be grateful you did. And in the first place, just try not to miss training sessions. You'll be, you'll be better off for staying as consistent as possible. And again, if you do have to miss training, just, just try to get something and try to try to expose yourself to a training stress at least once a week. So you don't detrain and then have to deal with this mess of trying to come back. Cause it is so uh, disruptive to, to overall progress. We actually, I just had a, a guy who went away on vacation and he wasn't going to miss a lot. He, he was only going to, he's only missing two training sessions. And I, you know, asked him if he wanted to try to get in a session on Friday because he was leaving. He'd normally train Saturday. He was leaving Saturday and uh, he trains Monday, Wednesday. So I said, why don't you come in on Friday? And he was kind of like, you know, like, I don't really have a lot of time. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that in. And I was like, you know what? Just come in and squat. Mm-hmm. Three sets of five. You know, you're out of here. You're out of here in 20 minutes. Yep. Good to go. So he did that. Went real well. That's going to do a lot to prevent him from losing that progress that he worked so hard to get. Mm-hmm. And if you're on a trip and you can't bring your shoes um, and there is a commercial gym near you, then uh, go press and deadlift. Something is better than nothing. A lot, a lot of times people um, feel that if they can't get in their workout as planned in a perfect way, they should not do anything, but something is better than nothing here. All right. Well, let's talk about you, man. So I gave the summary of, of your, your journey. Um, elaborate. Well, it was, uh, 1992 in a hotel. <laughs> uh, keep it brief, my friend. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I can't believe you're born in 92. That's wild. Yeah. So that makes you, you're 30, almost 30. 29. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to hear about the, uh, the decision to leave your job and your journey to become a starting strength coach. And then the, the decision to open a starting strength gym, man, it really got away from me. I tell you, 
uh, I mean, I, I, so I started coaching just for fun. I coached jujitsu. I coached gymnastics when I was in college and I started doing it for lifting. So I got into lifting. So why wouldn't I coach that? And I, you know, I just fell in love with it. It's just so much fun. It's, it's um, like, I love helping people. I really do. It, it means a lot to me. And especially like coaching 70 year olds is the best. It really is. It's the most rewarding. They, they are so tough, especially women, especially women, yeah. 70 year old women are tougher than anyone, you know, toughest people uh, in the gym, hands down. So you have to hold them back. Yeah. And I love coaching those people, but it's very rewarding. But I love when I when I can figure something out and it produces the result I intended. And that's something I really like about the starting strength coaches is that that that's what we do is that we solve problems, and that's what engineers do. Right. Engineering is nothing more than getting a, a base level of theoretical expertise of, of theoretical knowledge. And then uh, someone coming up to you and saying, hey, we got a problem. Go fix it. I'll see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And you just got to go fix it. Yep. That's just what we do. And so that's it's the same thing with coaching. And you this is and why Rip refers to it as engineering human health and performance, because it is it is engineering for, for that. Absolutely. Yep. So I started coaching. Uh, I started working. And then uh, I slowly, I, I decided I wanted the credential um, I believe it was August 8th of 2015. Um, and I started working toward it and I was horrible, but I kept working at it. I got better. Eventually I started getting more and more clients. Uh, so things with my, my job got kind of perpetually more stressful. And, um, there, there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff going on and I, I really liked that job. But uh, it, it wasn't where I wanted to be long term uh, in the context of my career. Mm -hmm. And I decided because I loved coaching so much that that's what I wanted to do. Yep. And so I started, started working toward that. I went to the seminar, failed the seminar, went to another seminar, failed that seminar, went to a third seminar, failed that seminar. And then I passed in Denver in October of, uh, of 2020. Are you and, the record uh, holder for most attempts? Because a lot of people get demoralized. And so kudos to you for keeping at it. Oh, I got demoralized <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that they quit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I believe there are others who have tested four times and passed. Mm. I don't think anyone's tested five times, mm. but, um, I remember, I think I had told you, cause I think you would ask me a similar question or someone had asked me a similar question at Denver. And I said, well, if I fail this one, then I'll get it on the fifth one. And, and then I'll be the record holder for that. <laughs> so I started, you know, I, I'm still coaching out of Black Mountain Strength Training here in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And uh, last year, you know, I, I signed up to do Starting Strength Indianapolis. And it, it really is just, it was where I was going to take my gym anyway. Mm -hmm. The muscle, the, the, um, the association, the, the everything that came together was, was what I wanted, you know. Um, I think the way the classes are structured makes the most sense. I think it allows you to reach a lot of people um, in a way that one-on-one -on -one personal training just will not be able to reach certain people. Hmm. And so I love that aspect of it that you can, um, that we can really help a lot of people uh, in a really meaningful way and in a really satisfying way too. I mean, I've, I've been to the gyms and it's, 
it's so much fun to coach at the gyms. Yeah. It really is a blast. Yeah. And I didn't like, I, I remember Ina Koppel had said like, the gym is the book like come alive. And I definitely thought she was kind of being dramatic just a, just a little bit. And, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, oh, that's nice. And then, uh, I, you know, I went to the gym and it, it really is. It's like, which gym did you visit, the- by the way? Sorry? Which gym did you visit? Uh, Dallas and Plano. Nice. Yeah, yeah. sorry, finish that thought. Uh, yeah. And it really does. The the iconography, the the whole branding is, is exactly what it needs to be because at the root of this whole thing is the book. Mm-hmm. The book is the root of, of all of this stuff that we do, and it, and it has to logically extend from that. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the do. So I think it's it's a great um, it's a great opportunity as a coach and as as a business owner. I think it just makes makes the most sense um, for both of those kind of career paths. So one of the most pleasant surprises about this thing for me has been the quality of the people that train at these gyms. The per session price to train with a coach in a group is anywhere between, let's say, $28 and $35, where if you're training three days a week, you're spending three, $400 plus a month to train at a gym, um, which means that the people that train at these gyms are successful, and they, they put in hard work, and they approach their life with a plan, and that's clear because they have the disposable income to afford this product. The second thing that's uh, consistent amongst the trainees in the gyms is that logic um, and a systematized process appeals to them. So those those traits result in the people that train at these gyms, um, they end up being extremely pleasant, uh, good people to be around. Thoughtful, intelligent people that, that you feel, like these are people I wanna be around, these are people I wanna get to know. Um, and the, uh, just the vibe in the community in the gyms is, is really positive. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've been working, uh, retail adjacent for, you know, over 20 years now. And, uh, every business has a type of audience that it attracts, whether it's online or offline. And the particular audience that we attract is, uh, is a group of people where I feel like these are my people. And, and it's not just me that feels that way. Cause I know that everyone else in the room feels that way as well. Otherwise you wouldn't want to spend, you know, four and a half hours a week with these people training 90 minutes a day, three days a week. Um, that's, that's been nice. Cause it's, it could be, uh, it could be a mixed bag when you're dealing with the general public, but this, this product selects for, um, very pleasant, successful people. For sure. And they're never short of an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anything you want to add about your journey? I was curious about, uh, I was curious about your, you're now kind of in the coach development realm. So, so Andrew, in addition to being a starting strength coach and, and and being in the process of opening starting strength Indianapolis, um, is also helping the franchise company with coach development. And, uh, you've developed your, your apprentice coach who you're bringing to the new gym in Indianapolis. Um, and obviously you've been through the development process yourself and you're a mentor in the prep course, um, talk to me, g- give me some thoughts on, on development. Cause when you're, when you're talking about your, uh, progress through trying to become an SSC, what, what I'm thinking about is just all of the things that, that you continually learn as you 
uh, peel back the layers of the onion when it comes to becoming a starting strength coach. And just, you know, when you think you've got a good handle on things, you realize you don't. And the phrase, you don't know what you don't know, is never more apparent than when you're trying to become a starting strength coach. So I, I'm just curious about some of your reflections and thoughts about that process for yourself or for your apprentice. I, I would say, I guess it's hard for like reflections, but I would say that the most important thing for like, I guess, advice or something would be, you have to be brutally introspective. And, and when I say brutal, I don't mean in like, in like a metal, like hardcore way. I mean, like extremely, yep. you have to be, you have to be to a, to a fault. You have to be introspective. You have to be thinking about how could I have done that better? What's, what's missing? Um, you can't just let things be bad or you can't just let things be limited. You have to constantly be asking the question, like, what, how can this improve? What if this, what if this, wouldn't it be cool if this, and if you keep asking those questions and if you're honest with yourself about what you're seeing yourself do and what you are seeing the clients do, and if you are a coach coaching another coach, what are you seeing them do and how are you going to answer those questions um, in, in the context of their coaching? Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on because um, a lot of things in life can be bullshitted. You can bullshit your way through, uh, especially yep. school. The educational product attached to this uh, cert certification, you cannot rely on bullshit and you most certainly cannot rely on bullshit on the platform because your coaching either gets the person moving safely and efficiently in line with the model and produces an adaptation, or it doesn't. Um, and they're, they're, since this product actually creates measurable results, you're either creating those results or you're not. And, and something that Rip, I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if, the, if he still says this, but I remember something he used to, Rip used to say all the time was, the starting strength seminar identifies starting strength coaches. The platform and the oral board are an identification process, a recognition process of unfounded starting strength coaches. And, and that's really how you need to think about it. Mm -hmm. They're not there to be, to be knighted into starting strength coachdom. You are going to become a starting strength coach through your, through your, your personal training through your coaching, through your um, work with the material, work with the books. And then what you're already done with that, you already coach, you're already a starting strength coach, you're running your gym, you're doing all that stuff, maybe you're running out of someone else's gym. And then you go to the seminar to be recognized as such. Yep. And I think people have this kind of thought that it's like, well, I'm, like I said, like I'm gonna go there to be, to become a starting strength coach. And it's not, it doesn't work. Don't worry about, don't worry about passing the platform, worry about being a good coach. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, everything else will follow. This relates exactly to your career as an engineer. You, uh, if, if, if you're, if you know anyone that's an engineer or you're familiar with, with what it takes to be an engineer, you know that you cannot attend a weekend seminar to become an engineer. And so yeah. the same thing applies if you're an engineer of human health and performance, as Rip says, um, it is a process that requires experience. There is no replacement for experience. It does not matter how good your theoretical understanding is. You need practical experience under the barbell yourself and practical experience on the platform, helping other people become stronger, 
in order to become a starting strength coach. And I, and I want to kind of follow up with that because um, as much as I've said that about, about the seminar, the seminar will improve your coaching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It will not make you a starting strength coach, but it will improve your coaching. And every time I've been there, I've become the, the day that I leave, I'm a better coach than when the, when I showed up and I saw it too. Cause I, I, I sent uh, uh, my, my coach off to the seminar to just to, just to experience it and learn some stuff. And the day, the, the training session that he got back to run his sessions, he, he was a better coach. Yep. He was more confident. He was saying the right stuff. He was responding correctly. It was, uh, it was just a, it was a stepwise uh, change in, in performance. Yeah. And you, so you get to see 25, 30 people in a room getting coached in line with the model by five of some of the best coaches in the world. And um, that, that gives you a point of view that you didn't have before. And prior to the gyms coming around, if you were attempting to coach on your own or even att- attempting to train on your own, you didn't really have a, uh, a feedback mechanism, uh, not, not a rapid one anyways. And so for me, I remember the first time I went to a seminar as a trainee, I thought I had things pretty well nailed when it came to technique as described in the book. And I made all the mistakes that everybody makes, not bending, enough in a, not bending over enough in the squat. Uh, and then same thing applied as a coach. When I was trying to become a coach, I just realized I'm, I'm missing a bunch of subtle but critically important things. I was uh, having skinny skinny men and, and women overextend the low back and a bunch of issues that, that uh, were embarrassing and tough to come to grips with. But as you said, being self-critical and self-aware is really important because if you're not, then um, you're at the risk of, of not correcting those issues. And if you don't correct those issues, you don't advance as a coach. If you don't advance as a coach, you do not get the credential. And a, a big part of a big part of what you mentioned is, is having someone else to give you feedback. Yep. So introspection is great, but having someone who's already been through the process, who knows what to look for, who can watch you and go, you're like, this is the stuff that you're missing. Um, it, it's just a faster learning experience than than doing it on your own. Yep. Just so much faster. So let's end on your final words of wisdom for. Um, someone who wants to become a coach or is already a coach and wants to become a starting strength coach, what advice do you have for this person? Try to distill down into a soundbite. You can be like Elon Musk on the Lex Friedman podcast and just sit there silent for a minute while your uh, brain goes through 55 calculations. (laughs) The eye movement helps too. I would say uh, just just what I said earlier, just be introspective. Mm-hmm. Just be honest with yourself. Don't delude yourself. And get a coach. Yep. Those are two things. But. Get a coach, yep. And then I would add I would add um, make sure you set your goal and you're clear about what your goal is. So if you want to become a starting strength coach, why? What are you going to do with that? And if the why is big enough and important enough, then then you can be an Andrew Lewis. Andrew Lewis was going to become a coach no matter what. Uh, there, there was no standing in his way. There was no deterring him. Um, you need a high level of commitment to understand this theoretical knowledge. You need a high level of commitment to put yourself through the process of getting stronger and learning the lessons you learn. And you can only learn under the barbell. 
and you need a high level of commitment to spend the time getting to know strangers, coaching for free, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, um, not knowing the answer, and attempting to help people while you're learning. Um, and that can be a uh, that can be an uncomfortable process. So so if you're committed and you know what you're trying to achieve, that process will certainly be, be worthwhile. Um, so I recommend that you think big picture. What are you trying to achieve in your life? What do you want to do with your credential? And is it worth all the effort? Because it is hard. It is a hard process and it takes time and it takes money. And your answer can't be because I want the credential. You, you can't be collecting trophies. That, that won't do you any good. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Well, Andrew, thanks for sharing your knowledge with us and your story. And uh, thank you for watching. Thanks, guys.